Good morning, Highland Hills. It is great to see each of you, and we're so glad this morning if you are also joining us online as we turn to the Word of God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. And today, I believe the Apostle Paul is going to take us to the section of Scripture to focus on something that should be foundational to our lives. That if we have come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ, then our lives must be defined by gratitude. When people see us, they should see a people who are, because of everything God is for us in Jesus, thankful. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote these words. Colossians 3, 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, and in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray as we go to the Holy Scriptures this morning. Father God, we do thank you once again for this opportunity to gather as believers and to examine your Scripture. We have so much to be thankful for, God. You who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, that we may have this new life, a life we get to go through together. God, I pray that we would see how significant gratitude is and that our hearts would comprehend just how much we have to be thankful for and that we would long to live lives of thanksgiving appreciation and gratitude for everything that you have done for us and that we would long to spread this good news that what you've done for us you've done for all that we encounter that we could point to them and tell them to of this Jesus that saved us and loves them and Christ is only in your name that we pray amen gratitude thanksgiving appreciation these are things our culture claims and we should claim to cherish. I mean, we celebrate an entire holiday, Thanksgiving, that places those things on the forefront of our thoughts and contemplation, that we are to be thankful. We should be grateful. Friends, freedom, family, a church family that we have to gather with. We have so much to be appreciative for. And I love the holiday of Thanksgiving. I love getting together with family. I love eating. I'm a Baptist. You kind of have to be. I love eating. I love that. And, and in our culture, at least pre-pandemic, a culture that was always busy, always on the move, perpetually doing something, I love that we kind of slow down and just gather with family and focus on B 
being thankful. And I know that looked different in 2020. And I'm praying that with the vaccines and the like, that maybe it will look like that again one day. Because gratitude is something that is worthy of celebration. And it is something that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must take seriously. Because the Bible takes this topic very seriously. Thanksgiving. The Bible calls us to worship God with hearts of gratitude. Gratefulness must be a defining characteristic of all who claim to follow the Messiah. The Bible says it like this in Psalm 100. In Psalm 100 verse 4, it says this of the worshipers of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Here God invites us to approach him. The Lord welcomes us into fellowship to enjoy that which is most valuable and magnificent and beautiful in all of existence. God himself to approach our creator and to offer him something that he deserves. Thanksgiving. And, and we have been so blessed. God has been so good that he continually invites us to offer him this gratitude every day, every hour, every minute, every second. In fact, if we were to look at the frustration, if we were to examine everything that is wrong with this world, that separation between God and man, that rebellion that has tainted and marred this creation, that upheaval has its origin in a lack, in part, of thanksgiving. The Bible says it like this in Romans 1. In Romans 1, verse 20, it says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What led mankind away from God? away from this relationship that we were meant to enjoy, meant to experience? What caused us to stray away from that path? In part, it was a refusal to be thankful. That is why today Satan will do everything he can to rob you of gratitude. The deceiver will make you focus on anger and frustration. The enemy will make you play the victim card and wallow in self-pity as if everyone is out to get you instead of being thankful for those that are there to help you. That ancient serpent will not care if you are wildly successful. The enemy does not care if you get the job of your dreams as long as it's never enough. As long as you are never content. Whatever strategy it takes, the devil's kingdom will try to rob you of thanksgiving. 
Because at the heart of our rebellion against God is a lack of gratitude. But if we will be thankful, if we will choose to dwell upon all that God has given us and everything that he is for us in Jesus Christ, then I think we will be equipped to make this application, and it is this, allow peace to have authority in your life. To have this gratitude, to have this thanksgiving, you must allow peace to have authority in your life. Look with me again in verse 15. Verse 15, this is what the scripture says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you have been called, in one body, and be thankful. I would dare say there are few people who would fail to admit they want, they deeply desire, they profoundly crave peace. They want peace. And sometimes life can be incredibly stressful and chaotic, and many people just want one moment of serenity, one experience of tranquility, one precious second of peace. And in our culture, that desire for peace is oftentimes very elusive. It seems as if we can't take hold of it. But there is a peace that is offered to us today. The Son of God promises that. The question is not, is peace offered? The question is, where can we find authentic peace? And it is only found in Jesus, in the King of Kings, in the Messiah. But the question too is, will you let peace have an authoritative role in your life? Does peace get to step in and be your God? Does the peace of the King of Kings get to have an authoritative say in your attitude and your decisions and in your circumstances? Jesus said it like this in John 14, 27. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, the world says peace will come to you when you get more stuff, more wealth, more money, more prestige, more power. The world says that is where our peace is found. Jesus says, though, there is a peace that this world cannot give you. In fact, the peace, the supposed peace the world offers is a bogus peace. It is counterfeit. It can never satisfy. Verse 15 again, and let the peace of Christ's rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Paul uses this word. He says that peace should get to rule in your life. It is the Greek word brabuato. Douglas Moo is a New Testament scholar who, after teaching for decades at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, also served as a professor of New Testament at Wheaton College. He received his PhD at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Listen to what he says about this word, 
brabuato. He says, rule translates to a Greek verb that refers to the activity of the umpire who renders a verdict in a contested situation. In general, then, Paul wants the Colossians to make peace the arbiter, the factor that should be given preference over competing concerns and interests. That peace gets to be the umpire of your life. That peace gets to be the judge of your life. Paul is communicating peace should serve this role. Peace, the peace of Jesus, should make decisive decisions in your life. You see, when we look at how we use an umpire today, let's take a baseball game, for instance. In a baseball game, the crowd may demand that the game go a certain way. The coach, the managers, the players may insist that the game go in a specific direction. But like it or not, when, when a part of the game is in question... The umpire has the authority. The umpire has the say-so. And perhaps this is difficult for Americans because, well, have you ever been to a baseball game? Now, when the umpire makes a call, when you were at the baseball game, did you typically see the people in the crowd say, good job, umpire, you're really good at this, that was a great call. Is that typically what you see people yelling at the umpire when you attend a baseball game? I don't think so. No, we challenge, we kick, we fight, we scratch against the umpires and against the referees of sporting events. In fact, there is a website partially committed to finding the best chance that people can come up with when they're taking on the umpires at baseball games. It's called the Big List of Umpire Heckles. So someone has sat around and they thought about the best way they could come back to an umpire. They've made the list. I want to share with you some of that list. Of if you're ever at a baseball game and you feel like there's a call in question of what you can say to the umpire. For instance, this is one. Hey, umpire, do you need Windex for your glass eyes? I thought only horses slept standing up. I've heard better calls between two cans and a piece of string. Hey, umpire, were you the iceberg lookout guy on Titanic? Wake up, umpire. You're missing a great game. Come on, umpire. That pitch was so far outside, it had a coat on. Hey, umpire, lens crafters called. Your glasses will be ready in an hour. And there you go. There's some great heckles for the umpire. The point is... Most people do not like to let the umpire guide the game in a similar way. Most people struggle to let the peace of Jesus umpire and guide our lives. But there is a path peace takes us on where we will encounter serenity if, if we will let it do so. That path leads to fellowship, and thanksgiving. Look with me again in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. How, how can you gauge yourself and ask, am I allowing the peace of Christ to have reign in my life? 
You are only allowing that to happen if you can see that your life is invested into a body of Christians and into an approach in life that leads to gratitude. You see, what does Paul say? Once again, look, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. That's a local fellowship. And, and notice this, that peace, yes, is to reign in your individual heart, but never in isolation. He doesn't say, let the peace of Christ reign in your heart, singular. What does he say? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's plural. That's just assuming you're in a fellowship. That the true peace of Jesus, when it takes hold in someone's life, it is a life that is invested, poured into, sacrificially, fellowship. And peace gets to have a stronghold. It gets to be your umpire when you are thankful for the fellowship of believers. When you think about that person who was there for you when you were in the hospital, the fellow believers who joined you week in and week out to learn about Jesus and his word, the other Christians who went with you when you shared the gospel with the lost, that believer who was there for you in difficult times, and tough situations. Maybe that believer you were angry with, you were mean and rude to, and they forgave you. Or you had to forgive someone. Regardless, you thank the God who forgave you at the cross that you get to pour your life into a fellowship, knowing that it's in the midst with other believers that this peace leads us. When you encounter a local fellowship and you intentionally be grateful for your fellow members, you are allowing the peace of Jesus to be the umpire of your life. And if we do that, if the peace of Christ takes hold of our life and we are thankful and we are linking arms with other believers to glorify Christ, then I believe we will also make this application in our lives. The next application of this text will be to consistently encounter the Word of God. Look with me in Colossians 3, 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So if Jesus is peace, the peace of the Son of Man that he offers, if it gets to officiate your life, not stress, not negativity, not doubt, if that which gets to be the umpire of your life is the peace of the Lord Jesus, what is the key ingredient necessary to encounter that peace? It is the Scriptures. It is the Word of God. Christ. So, so this message of Jesus, this word of Christ, what is it? I'm going to make the argument that it's the entirety of the scripture of God. Let me show you why I think that is the case. In John 8, 58, and in John 20, I think great light is shed on this scripture. In John 8, 58, and in John 20, 26, we see this. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus himself claims to be the I am of the Bible. He is God. 
John 20, 26 says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Notice here, Jesus claims to be God, and he affirms his deity. He doesn't say, wait, Thomas, you just call me God. No, he accepts it. Why? Because Jesus is the I am. Jesus is God. Now, why is that significant to understand what the word of Christ is? Well, let's look in Matthew 22 about how Jesus viewed the scriptures. In Matthew 22, verse 38, it says this. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus says, when David wrote, the Spirit was calling through him, working through him to provide that text. So so let's backtrack. What does all this mean? Jesus affirmed himself to be God. Jesus affirmed the Bible as coming from the Spirit of God. All of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, therefore, is the word of Jesus Christ. And it's only when this word dwells richly in your life and you encounter it in your personal devotions and you encounter it with a local fellowship. This is significant. This is necessary for the peace of Christ to take root in our lives, where we live lives of worship and gratitude. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So let's break this down a little bit. What's going on in verse 16? Because there is an an outline here of what God is seeking as we come together to worship him. Now, some suggest the Psalms mentioned here were the Old Testament type of songs for plucking instruments. Others assert the hymns were particular praises to Jesus. and, And perhaps the spiritual songs had a bit more spontaneous aspect them. But regardless of these distinctions, see what true worship should always do. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. When we come together for corporate worship, it should be an encounter of teaching and admonishing. And admonishing is warning. Is that what you think of when we think of coming together to worship? that they should always include aspects of 
warning one another. When you think of worship, what, when you think of corporate worship, what comes to mind? Do you immediately think you want your musical style preference? Or is it about a chance to honor God and once again hear the teaching of his good news, of his gospel? In our worship, we sing songs of God's coming judgment and the need to repent. We will sing about how we must admit we are sinners. We must believe in Jesus who died and rose again. We must call upon him for salvation. So when we worship and when we turn to the word and when we're here, quite often we're going to wrestle with and talk about sin and our need to repent of it and how it's glorifying to God to do so. Are people offended when we sing about these things, when we teach about these things? Despite the offense, will we be committed to discuss what the word of Christ discusses so that he can be honored in everything that we do? If we sing of Jesus and his salvation, do we let that pierce our heart? Do we think deeply of what we are apart from Jesus? Sinners who had no hope. But because he died and rose again, because he was our substitute and became our sacrifice, we have this chance to gather together to encounter God. Do we let that pierce our heart? And if it does, does it cultivate within our lives thanksgiving, that necessary component to true, authentic, genuine worship? If it does, then I think our worship will serve a role in our life of equipping us to do what all of us should want ultimately. And what we should want ultimately is this final application. Make the exaltation of Jesus your number one priority. Out of all the commitments you have in life, out of all of that which you endeavor to achieve, the application of this text is clear. Make the exaltation of Jesus your number one priority. Verse 17 again. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you are deep into a sacrificial commitment to fellowship, worshiping Jesus in song, and studying his word, if the Bible truly is something that dwells in your life, what will be your greatest ambition? It will be to do everything in the name of Jesus. Now, I want to admit, sometimes I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I'll say a prayer. Maybe I'll thank God for, for my food, for my meal, or something like that, and I'll say, in Jesus' name, Amen. Without giving that phrase the true contemplation it deserves. Because that is not just a tagline that we should throw on the end of a prayer. It is something that means ultimately you are not alive for yourself. You do not exist for yourself. You don't get to be the God of your life. 
That's not where your joy is found. That's not where your satisfaction is found. That's not where your purpose is found. And I know in a culture that seeks to put self on the throne, that is an offensive message. But the irony is when we try to be the gods of our own lives, we never encounter the peace we crave. It is only when Jesus is on that throne You were not meant to live for yourself. You were created. You were designed. You were made to live for Jesus. And that is good news. That you were made to lift up he who is most significant. You were made to enjoy the most phenomenal treasure you could have ever been given. Everything that God is for us in Christ. The Bible says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.14. In 2 Corinthians 5.14 it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are meant to live for the risen Christ. And once again, here's the irony. If you try to live for yourself, if you refuse to accept God's warnings and repent from patterns of sin, if you determine to live this life for your name instead of the name of Jesus, you will never truly, authentically encounter the lasting peace tranquility, and serenity that is offered to you because of Jesus. You will never encounter thanksgiving. But if you determine to lay down your life, your goals, your ambitions, and lay them before the altar and give them to Jesus Christ, what will the end result be? A life defined by peace. Set on the foundation of God's word and boldly committed to gratitude. They always come together. A life committed to authentic, genuine thanksgiving will always be a life committed to worship. May it be true of our lives that when people look at us and see what we value most, That because it is the Lord Jesus, that we are a people of peace, of thanksgiving, of worship. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you offer us that which in our heart's desire we want. Peace. And God, let us not be tricked by the enemy. Let us not be found believing that that peace can be found when we are exalted. When we have the material items we want. When we have the wealth we want. But let us see that our peace rests in this. That you loved us so much. That you gave us that which was most valuable. That you gave us Jesus. Let our peace rest in knowing that the creator of the universe did not hold back giving us 
your own son that we could be reconciled to you. And let us be so thankful that we've been called back into this relationship with you. And so grateful that we get to experience it with our brothers and sisters that we live lives of thanksgiving and of worship. And God, by your grace as a gift, may we encounter that peace that is only found in Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Let us stand. We will close singing the praises of the only one who can give us peace, the Prince of Peace. We will sing the praises of Jesus Christ. And if you need to come at this time, you come.